Hello, and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by Hybrid Links. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Welcome to this episode of the Translation Company Talk Podcast. Today I am speaking with Seamus Saeed about the importance of business acumen for leadership of language service provider companies. He is an expert in this area and has a passion about mentoring executives from LSPs and how to run their businesses. I am very excited to be hearing from him about what skills, talents and the type of intuition one needs to run a successful LSP. Seamus Saeed is the Chief Operating Officer for Interpreters Unlimited, or IU, which is a full-service LSP based in San Diego, California. He is an operations executive with a business development background and driving sustainable growth through revenue-maximizing strategies and enduring client relationships. Throughout his career, he has secured $3 million in acquisition funding via multiple investors, advised and partnered on a business purchase in 2007, and has since grown by revenue 600%. He has led three strategic acquisitions and oversaw integration into parent company and generated $8 million in revenue through consultative selling and biopharmaceutical and biotech manufacturing. Seamus, welcome to the Translation Company Talk Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Silva. We, I know we've been talking about this for a while. I really wanted you on the show because of your business background, your expertise. But for those who don't know you, please introduce yourself. Tell us about your company, what you do these days. Well, thank you. Well, my name is Seamus Sayed, Vice President and CEO of Interpreters Unlimited. We are based in San Diego. Uh, the company's been around for over 50 years. Wow. We did not start the company. I say we. We're a family-owned company. Uh, my father started uh, his in his career in engineering. He was an engineer for about 20 years, left, started a company in food services, restaurants and food services in the late 80s, took it public in the 90s, sold it in the mid 2000s. He was operating uh, uh, airport concessions uh, out of uh, in something like 40 plus airports with 100 plus uh, locations throughout the country. Parallel. I did my undergraduate work in general molecular biology out of UC San Diego. I was pre-med for about 15 minutes and uh, chose not to go to uh, med school. I went to, uh, I jumped right into the biotech industry and all the biotechs I worked at are all now one. They've all consolidated and fired and merged, you name it. Um, But the one thing that was common in the, uh, as I zigzagged my way uh, uh, in the industry, was that I had horrible bosses. With the exception of one, I had horrible bosses. And that's just enough when you're single to take some (laughs) drastic steps. Uh, My father was the recipient. I'm the middle of three. I have an older sister and a younger brother. Uh, So he heard me uh, 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 bitching pretty much on a weekly basis on uh, on my bosses. And uh, so... Interpreters Unlimited fell into our lap. Uh, when you say that God has a plan for you, we looked at all types of businesses, uh, pizza stores and moving companies and dry cleaners, you name it. We looked at all types. We were less concerned about what they do, but more concerned about how they do, looking at the financials 
and the uh, logical aspect of the business versus the emotional side. One day, the um, one of his former board of directors says, hey, I know that you're about to make an exit from your company, given the recent sale. And he says, I know you're looking. And he says, I'm a godparent to this family. There's other father-son team that's selling their company, and they do interpretation and translation. And we said, what the heck is that? So it was just so vivid. My father, my brother, myself vividly remember this. On a Saturday morning, we go to Interpreters Unlimited's then corporate office, which happened to be next door to my father's corporate office and about a mile and a half from our home. We walked in Saturday morning, cup of coffee with a smile of skepticism. And we walked out with a smile of, are you serious? <laughs> and uh, it was a, a heavily leveraged uh, uh, acquisition. Um, and uh, uh, that was in beginning of uh, end of 2006. Uh, in April 2007 is when I joined. In April, I uh, quit my corporate job, got married, and I had a destination wedding in Dubai. My wife is from London. I moved my wife out from uh, from the UK, moved out of my parents' home, took a 60% pay cut, uh, and uh, started and came to Interpreters Unlimited within a 30-day span. What an interesting and, and fun journey. So, Seamus, uh, about the industry, I mean, um, it was more or less accidental for you. It was not planned. Right. Uh, when you started it, uh, what were your thoughts? What were you thinking in terms of expectations? I am beyond where I wanted to be. You know, you're look, I, I, I joke around about my age, but I'm in my mid 40s. Uh, my father is in his mid 70s and we are uh, we're we're going strong and we're loving every minute of it. When you envision where you wanted to be 20 years ago, when you think about where you wanted to be here today, uh, 20 years ago, I wasn't married. I had no kids. And then when I got married, and, uh, you know, there's if the needs and wants are different. So now, fast forward, I have two boys. I'm a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old. I've been married for almost 17, 16 and a half years. Uh, so now, where I want to be is I am exactly where I want to be. I finally see a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, I, as, as you do as well, Sultan, you, we work our butts off. But at the same token, we have a degree of flexibility so that tomorrow I can be there at my son's basketball game or see my other son uh, compete in a science uh, science fair or uh, pick them up from school. So that's the flexibility is exactly what I wanted. At the end of the day, as business owners, we, our bosses are our clients. They're our, that's our, our team. Uh, those are our, that's who we report to. Uh, so as long as I continue to be, remain available and provide the guidance, the insight, and provide them the tools, that's the fun part. And that is where I want to be. Seamus, in terms of your journey, uh, let me ask you one final question. When you started uh, in 2006, 2007 officially, since then, what has stood out to you as a significant event or change in this industry? Something that was disruptive, that's always you think about, and and it, it shaped uh, your journey as well uh, in terms of where you are today. Wow, where do I start, Sultan? I feel like on a daily basis, there's some sort of disruptive change. Let's not talk about what's happening present day. Right. Let's go back. Interpretation was not really part, not really considered part of the LSP realm. It was always the translation and localization companies. And that was um, very indicative of when you look at the 
associational language company member base, it was very heavily weighted on that of translation companies. So the one major uh, milestone, at least in my tenure in the industry, is the acknowledgement and appreciation or significance of the on-site interpretation space. In the client's eyes, they're hand in hand, right? There are many reasons why these companies, why our company, these companies exist. Is one person says, hey, you're interpreting. Can you do this document for me as well? Or you've done this document. Can you also come out to this meeting? Uh, so they're always done hand in hand. In fact, most people don't know the difference between translation and interpretation. Yeah, they don't need to know the difference. It's our job to know the difference. But many end users don't know the difference. So that's one thing. It's just the acknowledgement and understanding the significance of the interpretation space. Uh, another my major milestone that uh, is the uh, ongoing struggle between independent contractors and employees. Some of the milestones in that process were not good, and some of those milestones were very good. Uh, right now in California, we are still defending what had some of the positive milestones, but those are coming to test on a daily basis. Uh, when you look at the other major milestones are the overall awareness of language services has increased significantly in the years. Obviously, we knew of the Title VI, the U.S. Constitution's Title VI. Uh, now, when you look at positions, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, you didn't have positions of interpretation manager, patient, uh, uh, patient experience, uh, and interpretation was not part of these considerations. It was a by-the-way service. Uh, look at some of the major Fortune 100 companies now all have translation and localization department uh, at senior levels. And uh, so your the overall awareness of our industry is a major milestone, and that is just accelerating. Every day you're hearing, a, you're hearing more and more companies or verticals realizing the need for this. Those are really the top three that I can say right off the bat, more on a general basis. The acknowledgement of interpretation in the mix, uh, worker relationships, uh, and overall general awareness of the industry. Those are three key milestones. Yes, I can talk about artificial intelligence, chat GPT, Google Translate, machine translation. I can talk about all of those things as milestones and or disruptors, um, but I'm not going to go there right now. <laughs> That's a whole nother discussion. Absolutely. Those are tools and enablers. Now, Seamus, you are very, very active at the Association of Language Companies or ALC, where we're both members. You always share your business experience there. I wanted to speak to you today about uh, how language service provider management executives, how can we build business acumen and expertise? And if you could tell me about what is the current state of management skills uh, in terms of professionalization, in terms of their ability to, to run their businesses across American LSPs today. I mean, globally, it's an issue, but how about the U.S.? On a macro level, the when you look at our industry as a, as a whole, the average, we have roughly about 100, so say 150, 170 members of the ALC, each with the average uh, uh, business tenure of about 12 years. So just within our industry, if you take 170 companies, multiply that by 12, you're looking at well over two millennia of, of years of experience, business experience in this industry. Uh, 
within that. And that's phenomenal. And we're not even talking about the, the, the small ones that are not part of the association, which we want them to be. We're not talking about the single language. We're I'm just talking about actual members. So well over 2,000 years on average of experience that the association and language companies brings to the forefront. Um, part of that experience are people that are uh, started their companies because they were their they were that single language provider. They were a husband and wife team, father son team, mother daughter team, uh, husband wife and their three kids working in the business. And what they they started off helping out their community. Now they have a million, two million, three million dollar business offering all services, all languages. But they started out helping out their communities. Let's go the other extreme. We're, I'll use ourselves as, as an example. We are not from the industry. We didn't start this company. Uh, that aspect of it, you know, you could say, well, we didn't start it. So we lack that part, that piece of that puzzle, piece of that pie. We lack because we didn't start it. Or we came into it with a 100% business mind, uh, which brings me to the micro level, Sultan. So as a macro, we have... 2,000 plus years of collective experience, an array of owners ownership types. So as an ownership for us, we came into it from a business eye. And now on a micro level, independent of what brings us all together, which is our, which is language companies, we are all businesses and business operations, business acumen remains the same, whether you're selling widgets or you're selling language service. In uh, that, uh, the, the management skills, you see every, you see many of our colleagues, everyone has a different hot button. Everyone manages their companies differently, but using the same KPIs. Uh, uh, you know, I think we all look at, uh, of course, our top line revenue. Everyone looks at our gross profits. Everyone looks at, you know, how much we spend on our overhead. Everyone looks at uh, how much cash we have in the bank. Everyone looks at our receivables and our payables and so forth. So on a micro level, on a direct operations, that is something that is shared across all of the companies, regardless of the ownership type. And uh, when you look at uh, the current state of the management skills across, it's impressive, especially within the association. It is very impressive. Uh, one thing that we don't do as well as an association is focus on that this the micro level acumen right are we are we spend uh, many times we spend a lot of our conferences talking about the industry which is wonderful that's why we go but how much are we time are we spending on discussion of actual business best practices uh uh you know what uh, you know our is our company healthy? Uh, so you, so when you look at it, just really on a micro level, that's something I uh, we would we would like to see more of. Personally, uh, you've heard me say this many times. I'm a longtime member of Vistage. Vistage International is a CEO peer group. Uh, it's an international association group, um, and we have many ALC members who are also Vistage members. And uh, what's nice about that is that. In that environment, we talk about the nitty and gritty of our businesses. We talk about the problems. It doesn't matter if I do, if I tell if I reach out to my group and say, "Look, uh, my uh, my gross profit dropped three points. I need to identify what and where." 
well, it was okay. Was it your interpretation, translation? Who are the interpreters, etc.? So we can get down to that uber micro detailed level because whether I'm selling widgets or selling insurance or selling uh, interpretation services, I have a group of 17 people in the room that can approach it from a financial perspective and help you resolve that issue. Uh, <clears throat> and that's something I wish we would see more of within our association. Uh, yes, we are all available to help with language pairs and projects. And I need an ASL interpreter in Chicago. I need someone to help. And we're wonderful for that. Uh, but how many of us are actually reaching out to you or to our colleagues saying, hey, I'm having a GP issue or I'm having a cash flow issue or I got 12% of my receivables over 90 days. Uh, how do I approach that? Or I might not make payroll next month. Help me find the cash for it. Uh, and these are real business uh, issues. And uh, and so that's what Vistage helps us with. Uh, and that's the acumen, the general business acumen is what Vistage helps with. Um, uh, so I'm obviously a very big proponent of that. Let's talk about uh, business acumen in general. You talked about micro level and macro level, but uh, let's say if you have uh, um, the right business acumen and, and a service uh, language service provider as a leader, what advantages do you have if you know the ins and outs of running a business versus winging it like most people do? Well, <laughs> I don't have a good answer for you there, Sultan. I, <laughs> when we... Uh, Look, I, I I don't want to imply that I'm an expert by any means. Uh, God knows I got a ton to learn. Uh, it's about perspective, right? Um, when you have an association like ALC or you have groups like Vistage, they bring a perspective, a vantage point, which you may not have. Not that you can't attain it, but you just don't have. We, when we're in our business, we're, we're, we're you know, uh, uh, myopic to a degree. Even though we try to be objective, but we're very myopic because we are too we're too close to our business to really identify what the issues are. Because it is natural for us to make to justify why things are working or why things are not. Being very candid, we would like to expand uh, uh, our outbound business development effort. But the first thing that comes to my head is, oh, we can't do this because, or we tried this ten years ago. Or I wish we could do that, but if I can't, uh, it's we don't have that in the budget. But having an external factor, if you were in the room having the discussion with us, or the insurance company uh, person who I was referring to you uh, from my business group, there your vantage points bring uh, uh, bring something that I don't have and that I might be missing. So it's not about what I'm doing, what advantages I have. It's the resources that I have available to me and, quite frankly, to you as well. Uh, I don't know everything. Uh, and so the, uh, uh, the advantages that I have is that I reach out and I leverage the resources that I have available to me, whether it be my father, who's got 60 plus years of business experience, or it's reaching out on the ALC chat where I have 170 companies averaging 12 years of of experience, well over 2,000 years of collective experience uh, on the chat, uh, or I reach out to my visitors group who know me, uh, know my business, know my family, and know me personally. Uh, and uh, so it's the resources that I have available to help guide the right decision or help guide me and fix me through or help work through the, the wrong decision, right? Uh, there was a, my last Vistas session, 
the whole uh, 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 two and a half hours, three hours of the morning was talking about the concept of failing fast. That, that's actually a very good segue to my next question. And you talked about this briefly. A lot of people in our industry were translators who simply added additional languages uh, and outsourced them, uh, or they basically became a, a single language service provider and grew their business. They formed an LLC or a corporation, and you know they started billing their clients, but they didn't have the proper business education, an MBA or anything of that nature. Now, given that nature of um, our industry, uh, of these LSPs, they have to learn how to manage on the fly. Uh, what is actually the problem with that, Seamus? Well, that's the experience that I lack, Sultan. And that's what I mentioned. Because we didn't start this, we acquired this. That's that piece of that puzzle or pie that I don't have direct experience with. Uh, and good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, I have tremendous respect for those that have done that and have had to learn on the fly because that's an, that's an area that I was fortunate or unfortunate to not have to experience because that structure to a degree was already there. Yes, as we grew and as we grew fast. Uh, and then when we slow down pandemic and have to make the upswing changes and the downswing changes, yes, that is something that I had not had to experience, uh, but had to perform. Um, so the, you know, what can I say that were, so the strengths of what I see, at least amongst my Vistage colleagues and in my business group, those that have bootstrapped and built from scratch, there's a, there's a direct understanding of expense, in my opinion, a direct understanding, because tomorrow they, Today they're making a dollar, tomorrow they're making two. And then once they're making a third dollar, they realize that they have to bring in someone to help. Now that third dollar is worth half as much than that second dollar was because now they have to they have to bring in some. So then you scale that even further. Now you have their tenth dollar. That tenth dollar is like, okay, I need four people. I need structure. I need infrastructure. So now when you when that initial dollar was nearly a hundred percent in your pocket that $10 is probably 10% in your pocket. Uh, so I feel that those that have started from scratch have a solid understanding of bootstrapping and a solid understanding of their expenses and what and their bottom line. I think that's a better way to put it. Not their expenses, but their bottom line. Uh, I've worked for large corporations. And when I went to, if I say, hey, I need a new computer monitor, I need a new computer, or my chair is broken, you just fill out a purchase requisition and you get it. Two days later, uh, you have an IT team that comes and installs it for you. But here, you don't have that is not the case. Like, okay, well, now I have to budget that two thousand dollars. I can't do that this month. I might have to wait till next year to do that. So it's that mindset shift that someone that started from scratch as a uh, as a single language vendor uh, and has scaled. It's that aspect that they have a tremendous understanding of. Uh, they know exactly where their expenses are, generally Absolutely. speaking. You know, and I can speak, I'm sure I can speak for you and I can sure, sure as heck speak for me. Absolutely. And I think we are all on the same boat. Now, uh, speaking of acumen, one is basically the ability or the intuition of being able to do things. But can acumen be learned through universities or colleges? I mean, some of them offer executive level education, are these sufficient for LSP managers to go and, and retool and retrain themselves to build that acumen? I would say yes, but not exclusively, not exclusively. Uh, I usually have, well, 
I recently we recently moved offices and otherwise I would pull some of these off my shelf, but they're still in a box at the moment. As the books that I was uh, uh, that I read and that I was strongly advised to read uh, by my father over the years to help develop that acumen. Uh, so first of all, again, I mentioned Vistage. Vistage was the main purpose of me having joined Vistage was to acquire and gain that business acumen, period. That was 10 years ago. Uh, and by God's grace, I have I've, I have developed that and will continue to develop, number one. Number two is being present at uh, uh, what's the being present in situations that you normally wouldn't be. Uh, numerous times, even today, many I ask my father, include me in that meeting. Include me in that call. Let me be the fly on the wall. I don't need to say anything. I don't need to contribute anything. I just want to be present. I want to experience that. Uh, what they, there's that saying that closed mouths don't get fed. So you definitely need to ask. Uh, I asked uh, earlier in my career, uh, I the, one of the major biotechs that I worked for uh, took on a new CEO. The guy was 40 years old, Harvard MBA, used to run GE medical devices, and now was running CEO of, at the time, the company I worked for was only a billion-dollar company. And I, I thought he was, uh, I was uh, impressed with the guy. Like, I wanted to learn from him. So I went down and... And I set up a meeting through his office to meet CEO of this billion dollar company. And I said, hey, uh, guide me, teach me, you know, what, uh, uh, give me some words of wisdom. So he says, the one thing you need to be aware of is change is always, change is constant. The only thing constant in life is change. And, uh, and I said, okay. And that definitely stuck with me that 20 years later. I'm having, I'm mentioning it to you. And I said, okay. I said, give me a business book to read. And he says, Oh, the places you'll go by Dr. Seuss. And I said, okay. Didn't think of that. And he elaborated why. And if you've read the book, you can now see now there's so many articles about the business relevance of Oh, the places you'll go. Fast forward three weeks from that meeting, my specialty sales group was disbanded and I was laid off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, but those things definitely stuck with me. Now, fast forward. I'm a big uh, uh, follower of Good to Great and Jim Collins. Uh, and then his follow up book, The Breakthrough Company. Uh, I actually read The Breakthrough Company first before having read uh, uh, Good to Great. Uh, and Good to Great has is uh, an excellent book uh, along those lines. Um, Emotional Intelligence, Emotional Intelligence 2.0 is a phenomenal book uh, to help focus on the logical aspect of your daily life and being able to manage the emotional aspect. Uh, all of that is great. And they even tell you how to man, how to use that in your personal life and in your married life. And, you know, <laughs> when it comes to that, that just goes right out the window. We never exercise that, that the, the emotional intelligence in, in, in our personal life. But uh, jokes aside that, um, I'm reading this book now. Um, well, about a third of a quarter of the way through it. Um, seven daily habits. Uh, Stephen Covey. These are all these are all you know known business books. So yes, to answer your question, does going to business school help you attain that acumen? Absolutely, exclusively, no. Uh, and that's where uh, the books, your environment, 
asking the questions uh, from those that do have that experience uh, will help you get there as well. And just to be very clear, Sultan, if tomorrow you said, Seamus, here's, here's two years of free time, what are you going to do with it? I'd probably go out and get my MBA. Absolutely. Well, that's actually a foundation for being a good leader to have the right education and the right experience, obviously be surrounded by the right people. And leadership itself is a very niche skill. This podcast is made possible with sponsorship from Hybrid Links, a human in the loop provider of translation and data collection services for healthcare, education, legal and government sectors. Visit hybridlinks.com to learn more. A lot of people confuse acumen with a skill, as you just mentioned. How can a leader develop both for the benefit of their business? That's the million-dollar question, uh, Sultan. Uh, I think that that really is a million-dollar question. Um, I don't have a direct answer. I told you ways that we can help attain that knowledge, attain that acumen, and attain that skill. Uh, Would it help, for example, to be um, to find a mentor like yourself? Uh, that you could always follow and and that is acumen a transferable skill for example that uh, that you've developed over the years and you can now pass it on to a new leader well first of all thank you for that and i appreciate even being regarded as such um and yes if someone is willing they will get it uh and they will learn it i don't feel that one mentor is the answer there's going to be multiple and mentors can come in obvious and not so obvious uh forms I was with a I was with an ALC colleague over the weekend. Uh, she was visiting from DC. Uh, uh, I'll mention her name, uh, Carol Valandia. Uh, she was in town for a conference, and the conference was a conference based on the mentorship that she has. Right? It's a it's a group of, uh, from what I understand, new business owners. And I was a I was single parent last week. My wife was traveling, so the only time that I had was when I was sitting out at my son's lacrosse game on Saturday morning for three hours. So she she met she was nice and met me over on the lacrosse field, sitting there and having sitting on a lawn chair watching the game. And she made it very clear that uh, you know she says, "Look, Seamus, you're you are a mentor of mine. I have many mentors." I have a bit, I have multiple business mentors, spiritual mentors, uh, and that is where I get my insights from and my knowledge from, and that's how that's how I'm influenced. And I have these books that I read. So she was very clear, and uh, that not one mentor will do it, but you need multiple. And as I mentioned earlier, everyone brings a different vantage point. Look at what uh, we started off the call talking about. On something that I had no idea that before the end of this call, I want to have another discussion with you. <laughs> so, you know, so y- you yourself, you know, are going to mentor me in something that I had no knowledge of. Uh, so I, mentors comes in all shapes and sizes. They are obvious. They're not so obvious. Uh, but it's not just one. It's something you'll need multiple of. If you must uh, just share a little bit of my own experience. I, I've, I've seen life through different angles and uh, experienced many, many different situations. But I've come to a point where I believe that everything that happens in life must be welcomed. I welcome and I appreciate, I accept what is thrown my way. And I think if we do that, again, same thing would mean for different mentors. If you look, uh, even my son could be my mentor tomorrow. Uh, maybe he knows something that I didn't know. We were talking about that earlier. 
But let me get back to you know how how you develop experience. How do you develop those skills? Many LSP leaders today, from what I know, work with business coaches to address gaps in their skills and, and experience. Seamus, you you understand this from inside out, basically. You work with lots of people who probably even do coaching for others. What has your experience been with, with coaches? Have you worked with them? Have Are there advantages to work with them? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, so Vistage is, I have a coach through Vistage. I have a, I have a group of company, I have my group. As well as my individual, who the the chair of the group, who's my coach, uh, and I think it's very important. Uh, very important. Most of these coaches that are in the business in the Vistage are either are, are executives, retired executives, business owners, former business owners, uh, etc. Themselves, and then they work with 15, 20 other business owners and companies and learn their businesses inside out. They have their own personal experience that they bring, and then they have the insight of 20 other personal experiences that they know intimately. So the once a month that I meet with my coach, it is uh, uh, we sit across from each other, have tea, cup, coffee in hand, notepad, and we talk about everything. Uh, A coach will point out to you that your business performance is not just that of how we do behind the computer screen, but everything around us. Are you healthy? What's your personal relationships like? How is your marriage? How is your relationship with your kids? Um, how's your health? Uh, you know, uh, uh, did you get your, did you go for your checkup yesterday? Did you, things like that. Uh, so that's what coaches, why coaches are important because they, a good coach will focus on every aspect of your life because all of it impacts your performance in your business. And the other Flip side of that coin, Sultan, your business also impacts and influences how you are in your personal life. Are coaches necessary to run your business or is this something that you can develop on your own, these skills? I think coaches are either a a good mentor or a good coach, I think are necessary. I think are necessary. You can argue using American football as an example. I think we can uh, uh, say that Tom Brady is one of the greatest players that has ever played. Right. But he had a coach. And you can apply that to business as well. There is no such thing as complete or perfect leader with things constantly changing. And and you mentioned change is the only constant today anywhere in the universe. One has to stay abreast of all developments and everything related to business, right? So, Seamus, how can you create that agility and second nature to deal with business challenges and opportunities? Great question. Uh, I'll use the pandemic as a great example. Uh, as an onsite, uh, as a uh, three years ago, onsite interpretation was the it was the main uh, chunk of our business and our service offering. At the start of the pandemic, so vividly, March seventeenth, two thousand twenty, overnight, I'm watching the news, and here you have the governor that says no one can go out, businesses shut down immediately, effective now. No one leave their home. So you talk about an oh shit moment and and trying to figure out, uh, oh, great, what do I need to do? So when you look at, so you talk about agility, that was, that very moment was putting your agility to the test. Uh, When you, again, I went back, I keep on mentioning Vistage uh, throughout this because it is a major factor, a major part of how we, I have grown from a leadership 
from leadership skills and general business acumen. We met daily, daily. We had a 30-minute Zoom call with our group and our coach and individual daily calls with a coach, just quick check-ins on a daily basis. So I have expenses going out, but I have nothing coming in. Uh, and you talk about, okay, how do we manage the changes? How do we manage the overhead? How do we reduce the overhead? Uh, how do we manage the uh, you know, the layoffs? How do we manage getting federal assistance, the PPP? Uh, uh, how can we work together to accelerate getting PPP quickest? What banks are you guys working with? Who are your relationships with at, at the banks? And uh, Vistage members, within three weeks of PPP being released, 100% of our business group got their money. Within three weeks, 100% of our group received the assistance once that assistance was offered. Uh, when I talked to my colleagues outside of Vistage, many took them three months to get it, four months to get it. So it's having that that network of knowing, sorry, excuse me, uh, of having that, uh, uh, having that uh, understanding of uh, having that group around you and those resources around you to get that assistance. How do I, then you look at uh, 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 continuing the agility. How do you monitor your KPIs so that you can be on top of it, uh, not move, switching from the pandemic onto general uh, uh, general business? Tomorrow I see that, oh my gosh, I'm making three points less than what I was making the month before. What do I need to do? And how can I pivot my business to change? Uh, and I think that goes back to what I mentioned earlier. When you think of agility, it's that mindset of understanding that change is always constant. Change is constant. Uh, so as long as you're always in that mode, that that you're not, as long as you're not on autopilot and you are always in that mode, uh, then uh, uh, that is uh, that agility comes quickly. It comes naturally. Well, uh, Seamus, that's a very, very good point. But let me uh, ask you a follow-up on that. We have a lot of people in our industry who are very experienced and knowledgeable, and, and I have a lot of respect for them. But then there are other veterans who resist change and don't adapt. What do you have to tell them to evolve and, and improve their business acumen by accepting change? Well, that's something that uh, I don't have a direct answer for, Sultan. You're you're now to tell people that you need to accept change, that that has to be a part of your acumen. That's that's tough. Uh, the this book here that I'm reading, granted, I'm only a, a quarter of the way through it. Emotional intelligence, emotional intelligence 2.0 and seven daily habits. All three of those books tell you in some shape or form that you can't change anybody and you can't expect someone to change. Uh, so for it's to tell someone that they need to learn this or they need to change this and change their thought process and change their thinking is is, is a bit of a fallacy. I can't tell you that Sultan tomorrow you can't wear brown sweaters anymore ever because brown sweaters do X Y Z and you you might have a closet of brown sweaters and that might might be what you wear on a daily basis. But if I told you that you know what you can't, you need to bring in other colors. And you need to do that immediately. You know, how open would you be to that? Because you've been doing this for the same thing, the same way for the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years of your life. So two sides to that coin. Expecting the change, me expecting you to change, 
is a fallacy. Absolutely. If we don't change, then there's also the possibility that we might go extinct, uh, as is the case with so many things these days, right? Industries <laughs> are constantly changing. But if you have that mindset of not changing, there is a massive cost associated with that. And, and does it represent lack of business acumen for us? I could say yes, confidently, yes. We need to be open. We need to be open-minded. Um, absolutely. But present time, uh, AI, right now, I'm sure AI is on everyone's mind. Uh, I follow a group called Visual Capitalist. Uh, highly recommended. It's a great way to, to, it's a great way to waste 10, 15 minutes of your day, but for something educational. Uh, and well, two weeks ago, uh, they posted up a, a, this, a great chart about industries that are going to be impacted by AI. Top 10 industries. Guess what showed up as number 10? Interpretation and translation. Absolutely. Or what professions? Interpreters and translators. Our business and our industry at large are undergoing pivotal changes. As you mentioned, AI is one of them. Machine learning has introduced so many new opportunities. Um, and then all these changes are primarily propelled by technology and if you look at it, they are all outside forces that are forcing these changes upon us. Um, as a leader, what do you need to keep abreast of uh, in order to navigate this chaotic and sometimes rough waters as we are passing through these uh, pivotal changes? Don't be naive. Uh, don't underestimate what these changes could bring, positively and negatively. Uh, you got to keep your eyes open. You got to keep your mind open to uh, to understand them, to learn them, and how to uh, uh how to pivot uh you know i i to uh, last month well yeah uh last month in april at my uh uh group session my business group session i brought this issue up of again you have the opportunity to bring up an issue and the group has a discussion and guides you on how to address various issues specific to your business so i had 17 minds in the room talking about how helping me determine how i can work through uh, this threat, uh, and um, so that that's that's an interesting vantage point to have. These people help guide you, but it's having seventeen people or multiple people's vantage point is critical. Uh, is critical because it helps you see past your myopia. Right? We know our we're so close to our businesses. We're too close to our business. And when it comes to managing change or embracing change or having that agility. That myopia is going to come in the way. No discussion about leadership uh, these days is complete without talking about equal representation of gender and diversity. What do today's LSP leaders know and have as qualities to facilitate the fostering of an inclusive leadership board? That's a great question. Uh, Sultan Wallet lets us, by virtue of our industry, we are very diverse. Absolutely. Uh, on so many levels, on so many levels, we're I think we are the epitome of diverse leadership and inclusive leadership. Uh, in my opinion, I don't think there's much that our industry has to learn uh, about that because we are really the example, the epitome of it. Before it was ever a subject, we were the epitome of it. Um, just look at just look at our ALC chat, our membership, our, our member chat. I might go out to say that every, I want nearly 90, at least 90 plus percent of the of our association are that from a different culture. A nice chunk of that, or you have a a good balance of gender representation. Uh, uh, you know, we are 
if you look on things that we celebrate on the chat, we celebrate, you know, all cultures from Holi to Ramadan to Yom Kippur to Christmas, Kwanzaa, we celebrate everything and we genuinely celebrate. So again, I can go on various examples, Sultan. We are, uh, we're blessed and privileged to be in an industry that it, by design is inclusive and diverse naturally inclusive and naturally diverse not forced that's that's one of our strengths i think diversity is a strength in our industry and that's what has propelled it and strengthened it over time so that you explain very beautifully where our industry stands today but where do you see it going from this point Shimas? how do you interpret the environment for leaders and people working under them in the coming few years what type of changes do you anticipate change today is happening quicker than it has ever happened. Tomorrow, it'll be quicker than today, uh, and so forth. We, the industry is going places that we didn't think were going to go 10 years ago. 10 years ago today, we didn't realize some of these things were gonna be taking place. Uh, I, we need to be aware of it. We need to be on top of that. We need to just embrace the change and work with it and be open to it. I, again, I bring this up again. We cannot be myopic in our thinking and in how we uh, uh, approach our businesses. Uh, I think that is, that's the environment that we need to, uh, we need to be around. Uh, and uh, so you know, when, uh, going back to your question is, where do you see the industry going and how do you interpret the environment? The, inter the environment is is more fluid than it has ever been. Uh, and uh, uh, we need to embrace the right people uh, to help us foster that uh, and, and work best with it. Good to Great has describes four level, five levels of leadership. I'll spare the details of each uh, of those. Uh, but level four and five, arguably only level five, being realistic, level four and five is really where we want to be. Level four leadership is where the top people in the organization dictate the objectives for those uh, subordinate. Level five is where key people in every department embrace the, uh, uh, has the ability to make those, uh, uh, set those objectives and implement those objectives. Thus, a flywheel that every department, everyone is all working towards the same objectives concurrently, simultaneously, uh, all together. Uh, and that's having the, 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 in the book, the analogy of having the right people on the bus. So at the bare minimum, having a level four of having the top people being, uh, being fully aware of what's happening in the industry, fully aware of uh, uh, of how to pivot their business and steer their business. And then ultimately having the right people to do that with them and for them in various departments. In closing, Seamus, uh, what advice and words of wisdom do you have to share with LSB executives to become better business people? Keep an open mind and have fun. Let's not forget why why we are doing what we're doing. Uh, uh, they. I love what I do, Sultan. I love coming in here. I love having discussions with people like you. I love learning from people like you. I have a wonderful team who put me in check on a daily basis. Uh, and uh, uh, 
is just really keeping an open mind and and having creating opportunities for your team to excel and grow. And that is tough to do when you're in a family run business uh, because the the growth is limited. So it's trying to find avenues to help your team become better is is going to be a key piece of advice. And that's something I, too, need to implement and learn from. But really, it's just having fun, not losing sight of why we did this, why we are presently in it, uh, and uh, continue to have fun. Be good. Be good to your team. Understand that you need your team, you need your clients, you need your linguists, all to be in harmony uh, for you to move forward. Seamus, those are amazing words of wisdom and uh, something that resonates with me because I believe that leadership is all about changing people's lives, whether it's your own life or the people who work with you or your clients or your clients' clients or the end users of uh, the, your clients' products. So somehow, even if we're transforming words from one language to another, we are changing someone's life by making them uh, understand something better or maybe solve their problem or something like that. So I agree with you 100%. If we enjoy that, if we have fun doing it, and if we are open to, to new opportunities, I think it will be a very pleasant experience. Um, with all of that, I think we had a very fascinating conversation today, and there was so much to process and learn from you, basically. I think that uh, I'll, this is one of the many conversations that you and I will have where I will be asking you lots of questions to poke into your wisdom and, and learn more. The objective of my podcast is to educate and professionalize our industry. And I'm sure today we hit that, we nailed it. And uh, with that, let me thank you for your time and for sharing your thoughts with me today. Thank you, Sultan. I am privileged and uh, really appreciate the opportunity. Okay, it's time for my roundup of the interview and my analysis as to what has been discussed. The language industry is an interesting business sector where most of the service providers have some sort of a personal attachment to the business. Whether a translator became a single language service provider and formed an LLC or formulated a language service business with a plan and objective, it is clear that one must possess certain business leadership skills and basic management abilities. Among the skills needed to run a business beyond knowing about the product or service such as translation and the nature of the language pairs involved, an LSP owner or executive must also be able to understand how the finances work, how to measure the health of the company, implement business development plans, generate sales and instill confidence to shareholders, employees, lenders, government and other stakeholders. There are a lot of resources available to learn about these concepts both officially through institutions like business courses offered by colleges and universities, online courses or even from mentors for hands-on experience. A business is only successful if it's leader has a vision to grow and that can be developed and translated into actionable targets once the leader knows every aspect of their business. It pays off to learn about the business, developing the necessary acumen and traits and I'm sure you agree our industry could use more structure, discipline and professional leadership. That brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Seamus as much as I did. Please keep your comments and feedback coming. It will help improve the content and delivery of this podcast to you. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your platform of choice. And make sure to give this episode a 5-star rating. Until next time.
Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode. 